Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. We're glad you're here. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Before we get started, I just want to say something, uh, you know, of how lucky we are, Bill, that you're just so open and transparent, and uh, we are just blessed to have a pastor who doesn't hide behind a mask that uh, gives us permission to take down the mask. So thank you so much for, I appreciate that, for Ron. how it's you lead our church. And... It's, uh, as, you'll, um, as you'll hear a little bit over the next couple of weeks, we'll go a little deeper next weekend and talk a little bit about Cindy and some of that other things that are going on in our world. But it's really been a process for me uh, that has caused me to kind of break down those barriers and be able to be more open and transparent. Like I, I talked about on the roll-in there that uh, I didn't grow up with that, with that type of um, uh, uh, idea that you are transparent, you kind, of, you, you kind of project this pastoral image, right? Uh, we go into the, we used to have phone booths. We go into the phone booths and you put on your, your pastor cape and you fly in and you sprinkle a little pastor dust and you fly out. Mm-hmm. And so uh, people have this image of what we're supposed to be. And, uh, and my dad, as I said in that, had good intentions in that, that he represented that image. But wow, when you realize that uh, the people we look up to have feet of clay as well. And my problem in my life, it wasn't my dad's fault. It was just that I'd put him on this pedestal as the fourth member of the triune Godhead, you know, <laughs> that could do no wrong. And then the day I discovered that he too had feet of clay, it, de- it was devastating to me. It was a, a hard period, not just for me, but for my sister and brother and for our family and ultimately even for our church family because we had, in fact, put him on a pedestal that he didn't really belong on. He didn't put himself there. We put him there. Mm-hmm. And then once he tried to um, you know, uh, adjust and, and, and try to uh, find his footing, uh, he found it difficult to do. Someone has well said, the Christian church is the only army that tends to shoot its wounded. (laughs) And so many times, sadly, that is the case. And so we, as a defensive mechanism, Rob, I think sometimes we we do live behind those masks. And it does take a little pain to get you to lower the mask and to be real and authentic and, and to connect with people. And I think this is so important because I was, I was actually reading some stats and it was talking about why people were leaving church. Right. And, and one of the reasons why is because they walk into church and they see all the people and it looks like everybody's got it together, their life is perfect and everything's great. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking, I've got problems. I'm dealing with things. And so people put on this mask right. and they try to be what people think they should be or what right. they think other people think they should be. And I think it's because you've taken off that mask and, right. and you've let everybody know that, hey, you know, we all deal with something, mm-hmm. that we're all going through something, that uh, people are, are realizing that, you know what? Maybe church is for me. Yeah. Maybe this is where I can find the help and this is what yeah. the church should be. And well, that's I think, what I'm so you know, excited to, about. To your point, Rob, I think people have church as an idea uh, of where you, you, know, you, you, you almost become someone you're not. Mm-hmm. And that's why people who don't go to church frequently see us who go to church all the time and they kind of see 
two different people. They see the real person that is at work or school, and then they see who, uh, they meet our agent <laughs> at church. It's like when you're dating someone, you don't date that person, you're dating their agent. Uh, if you stay with that person long enough, you'll get to know them. But initially, you don't know them, you know their agent. And I think that's how we do it in church. We put our best foot forward, and we kind of project an, an image that we hope can main, to be maintained. And people who don't go to church see us acting that way, and they say this, have you heard this? The church is full of hypocrites. Mm -hmm. Now, when somebody says that, I always say to them, yeah, well, come on and join us. One more isn't gonna hurt anything. Because <laughs> to some extent or another, some degree or another, we always put up our images. We put up, you know, and, and, and I talk about this too. Uh, it, uh, it, you look neurotic when you do that. When you're one way at church and another way at, at school or at, or at home, you're neurotic. You know, there, there's a difference between being neurotic and being psychotic. If you're neurotic, you're afraid of birds. If you're psychotic, you think you're a bird. So uh, neurosis is something that can be corrected, but the church has become neurotic. And sadly enough, to bring us out of that, we have to sometimes go through something. And that's one of the things, Rob, I think we're gonna try to get at is one of the um, benefits, if you will, mm -hmm. of going through pain is this effect that it has on it us. Has, well, actually, what we were, the, the series was gonna end last week. That, uh, but the series was so great right. and people have gotten such a response and been talking about so much that uh, we were going to do a, a little mini series going into the holidays about uh, a vision of the church. And when Bill started sharing the vision, talking about the vision, it actually fit the series because it was through all of the pain, yeah. through all of what you were going through that got us to where we are. And, and you kind of touched on in the video that um, it was really when you went through your heart procedure yeah. that uh, we actually saw the vision of the church you know, be solidified. Yeah. I think up to that point, we kind of did have a little bit of a mask on, mm -hmm. but, but when you went through that, it kind of took that away. And one of the mm -hmm. things that, that, uh, that we encountered is a lot of people that we thought were for us yeah. left during that time. It, that when, the, when Bill went through his heart procedure, it was also the time when uh, the economy crashed. Hmm. And uh, the church was, you know, going through difficulties. It's fine. We had a, a million dollar pay down and, yeah. and, and we didn't have a million dollars. You know, we were going to have down. a weekend where we passed out ski masks and pistols. We thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't do that. We thought about it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Right. <laughs> But we were, we, were, we were going through, we were going through a, a difficult situation and we saw, we saw people that, that had been here for a long time leave. And, uh, and we also saw people that, that tried to take advantage of the situation that you sure. were in and what you were going through. And I remember having the conversation with you that it stuck with me the whole time and you said that, he said uh, to me that if this is of God, there's nothing anybody can do to stop it. Right. And if this isn't of God, then it has no business going forward anyway. I agree. And, and it's been something that we've held, held on to, and you see <clears throat> how the church has grown and progressed and what we're doing now that we've had, had a yeah. hold of that vision. And part of that vision was, you know, when we're helping people with our help out ministry that we do every time and, and going through that, is you're going, I saw how people treated me when I was at my lowest point. Right. And I'm not gonna let that happen to anybody else. No, boy, I can connect with people. I mean, you talk to me about your, your trouble, and I, I get that. If you've ever started a business, you put everything on the line, you've had financial reversal, you've had stress in your house, you've had health issues, um, you, you've had betrayal of people who thought were with you and weren't. I totally understand that. And I think all of those elements, as Rob was saying, God was using to kind of prepare us for where we were going as a church family. I, I've really come to believe everything in your past prepares you for what you face in your future. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think anything happens by happenstance or accident. I don't think God looks out of heaven and suddenly discovers you. I think uh, you're by design. Everything that happens, God may not cause it, but he allows it. He has a purpose in it. And I just, it's, it's sometimes your life feels like a bad movie. <laughs> you just stay and finish the popcorn because you want to see how it ends. <laughs> and, and sometimes you just got to hang in there and believe it's got to get better. It's going to get better. I believe it's going to get better. And so in, in a lot of ways we found, as Rob was saying, that that's what happened. I know in that period of time, there's a great passage in Hebrews that talks about the shaking that we go through in life, a shaking experience. And it says when the shaking experience is done, the things that are permanent are the things that remain. Think about your life. The, the people that leave you weren't supposed to be with you. Listen, if somebody can leave you, they could not be with you or they would have stayed with you. If they're supposed to be with you, they can't leave you. So my, my, my encouragement, I hope it is, is whether it's relational or financial or whatever stress, health, whatever you're going through in life, understand this when the shaking is done and it will get done eventually. When it's over, the things that are permanent in your life will be the things that remain. And those are the things you hold on to. By the way, those are the people you hold on to, the people Amen. that remain. Amen. Yes, sir. So for the next uh, couple of weeks, what we're going to do uh, is we're going to talk about how pain minimizes me. And uh, we're talking about the fact that it goes through a process that we have to get to uh, where we humble ourselves before God. Mm. Because I think one of the hardest things that we do when we face things is, right. is we try to fix it ourselves. That's yeah. the first thing. Right. And God can't do anything until we start letting go of things. And I think pride is such a big thing, Rob, that humility factor that pain brings about. And nothing like, nothing like pain that will humble you. Oh man, it'll take the arrogance right out of you. It'll <laughs> let the air right out of your arrogant balloon. And I know a lot of times, even in ministry, we get proud. It's like the guy said, we had 5,000 people in our church that weekend until some fool counted them. <laughs> you know, I mean, we have this, we have this arrogance. It's like the guy that wrote the book, Humility and How I Attained It. And I heard another guy, one more. I heard another guy say, I've got a great message on humility if I can ever find a crowd big enough to preach it to. <laughs> you know? And so I'm just saying that you get into these, you get into these rhythms and rotes, not just in ministry, you get into it in any career in life where you get arrogant. And the Bible says in James, God resists the proud. He resists the proud. Listen, there's nothing worse than seeing a proud sinner and a humble savior. And one of the things that pain will do for you, it will humble you. It will minimize you. I can tell you it's done that in my life. I think it's done that in our church collectively because we have so many people in our church that have just gone through some junk. Junk, they really have. And then next week we're gonna talk about how actually pain maximizes you. And it's that when you get to that place where you've surrendered totally to God, yeah. that's when he increases. When what I'm you, weak, what, then I'm strong. Then I'm Humble strong. yourselves, I'll exalt you, he said. Amen, amen. amen. So today, if you've got your Bibles, open up to uh, 2 Kings 5, and uh, we're going to talk about a character in the Bible that I think is familiar to everybody. I mean, you, you can see something of yourself in his story uh, when you go through this, and it's a guy named Naaman, and uh, Naaman was a proud guy, wasn't he? He was a proud guy. He was a Syrian general, and they had just conquered Israel. So Syria was the dominant kingdom in that day. Israel was still existing as a nation, but it was existing under the uh, domain, if you will, of the Syrian regime. And Naaman was the, um, was the general that led the assault and the attack that conquered Israel. Mm -hmm. And so he was a popular man, by all accounts, a handsome man. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with being beautiful or handsome uh, or, or, or talented. It's not fair, but there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> and so he had all of those things going for him. 
Um, he had this beautiful armor, and when he would appear, people would look up to him. Young men would want to emulate him. Women just adored him. He was a, a powerful man. And so when you read about Naaman, you're reading about a successful, powerful, uh, effective leader. And this man, as we're going to see in our study, had to deal with some stuff. He had, he had a condition. Stuff. And for all you note takers, the very first thing that you have to, to understand in this is the condition. You have to look at yourself and you've got to, you've got to understand the condition that you're in yeah. and that we're all in this together. Yeah. And uh, that's what uh, Naaman comes to find out. And this is where it says in 2 Kings 5. So it says, now Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Hmm. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Yeah, and notice that transition. Did you see that? He's a powerful person, a successful person. He's a man that's living behind his armor. This man had a, a problem. I mean, the whole mood, the whole tone of verse one changes when you see but. But, but he was a leper. He had all of this going for him, but he was a leper. Can, can I suggest something to you this morning? It doesn't matter how powerful you are, how successful you are, how beautiful you are, uh, how effective you are. Everyone has uh, a but. <laughs> Everyone, yeah, let me explain that. Everyone has that, that point in your life where there's something else you need to know, right? I mean, got this going on, but that's going on. This is going for me, but I need to tell you something else. I mean, here Naaman was successful, he has his armor, but the, there's something else going on in his life. He, he's, a, he's a leper. And we talk about every weekend how that everybody is going through something. That's why you cut people slack. You realize you, you don't know what they may be dealing with. You don't know what they may be going through. And, and we're so knee-jerk and we're so quick to go off on people. Sometimes we just need a breath and say, you know what? Everybody deserves to have a bad day. Mm -hmm. Everybody deserves to have a string of bad days. Mm -hmm. And if I were living in your life and going through what you're going through, I, I, don't, I wouldn't be doing any better than you are. So who am I to judge you? So I'm just suggesting you that we have to understand the condition that Naaman is in, a successful person hiding behind a mask, a successful person hiding behind the armor. And, and again, as Rob said, that's a defense mechanism. That's something we all do because it's hard to drop your guard. It's hard to let people in, particularly if you've been hurt. The tendency when you've been hurt is to isolate and insulate. You may say, hey, you've hurt me once, you won't hurt me again. And what you do is you put the armor on mm -hmm. and you bring, as Naaman, you bring that armor around you and you say, I'm gonna hide as long as I can behind this armor. But the reality of the text that Rob read this morning is you can't hide for long. No. Leprosy is a progressive illness that's gonna get worse. Initially, only Naaman knew it. And then Naaman and Mrs. Naaman knew it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then Naaman and, uh, and Mrs. Naaman and that little maid that was working for them that they had taken captive when he conquered Israel, she knew it. And the reality of it was, if something doesn't happen in Naaman's life, if he doesn't get honest, if he doesn't get real, if he doesn't get help, if he doesn't do something to change his situation, everyone will know it. Mm -hmm. And the problem with leprosy was that it was a, a disease that couldn't be cured, so they colonized you. 
Back in the day when you couldn't cure something, you colonized it. And so he would be sent off, exiled. He would be separated from his family. He would lose his job. He would lose his income. Everything he held on to, he would lose. And I've thought about that, Rob, in thinking about my dad and other people and other issues, is the fear factor of really being honest with what you're hiding behind your armor. The fear factor is, if I tell someone, they'll ruin me. If I'm honest about it, my career is over. If I tell someone, they won't love me or they won't like me. And the reality is, we all have leprosy. <laughs> I mean, everybody's dealing with it. Read Isaiah 5. The first five chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah's going around with his long, bony finger pointed in everybody's face saying, woe unto you. You do this and that. You're doing it wrong. You're a terrible person. Woe unto you. And all of a sudden, something happens in Isaiah 6. His cousin, who happened to be the king, Uzziah, dies. You know what he died from? Leprosy. Leprosy. A leper had to say, unclean, stay away. And Isaiah's uh, cousin, who he loved and admired, suddenly he's gone. And he's devastated in that pain. And read the transition of Isaiah 6. It says, in the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw God as I never saw him before when I was hurting. I saw God as I never saw him before when I was in pain. And you know what Isaiah said? Then said I, woe is me. <laughs> no more of this woe is you stuff. Now it's woe is me. I'm undone. And I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah said, man, until I really went through a devastating experience that humbled me, I didn't really see God. I was hard on people. I was judgmental of people. But all of a sudden, man, the props got kicked out of my life. My heart was crushed. I was broken. And suddenly, I saw God as I'd never seen him before. And it caused me to see people as I'd never seen them before. Mm -hmm. He said, I realized Uzziah had leprosy, but so did I. Mm -hmm. I'm as unclean as he is. And folks, if we're all sinners, <laughs> if we all have leprosy, what value is it for me to point out who among us has the worst case? If it's gonna kill us all, what does it matter? Oh, look at this guy, he's losing an ear when I'm losing my arm. <laughs> I mean, the best we're ever going to be is a sinner saved by grace. Mm -hmm. That's it. I'm not excusing sin, I'm just saying, you're not gonna get perfection this side of heaven. Sanctification is not sinless perfection. I don't care who tries to sell you that baloney, balognos, give you the Greek word. Um, <laughs> it's just not true. If you want perfection, you might as well pray God kills you because the only way you're gonna get it is when you go to heaven. Amen. Then you'll be perfect. So I'm just suggesting, as Rob said, man, you gotta drop the, you gotta drop the armor. You, you don't get help. What's the first step? Admitting you have a problem, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't get help if it's relational, physical, financial, whatever your, whatever your pain is, open yourself up. Be honest, be vulnerable. That's hard. Be vulnerable, drop the guard. And this was the thing Rob Naaman was struggling with was his pride, his pride dropping the armor and being honest about his, his condition. Well, don't you think he was in control of every other part of his life? Yeah. I mean, here, here's the one he was in control of, of. He was, you know, went up to this great position. Right. He could have whatever he wanted. He right. could do whatever he wanted. And this was the one thing yep. that he couldn't control. Rob and I talked about this. One of the big issues that we have in ministering to people in this community is that we, we have very uh, high-capacity people uh, a lot of entrepreneurs, two-income households. There are people who are doing an incredible job, an effective job with your family, with your career. Um, if you didn't tell someone, no one would really know what the pain it is that you're really dealing with because you do so well. Here's the problem we run into ministering to people out here. It's not that people are too weak. It's that they're too strong. Mm -hmm. Is they're too strong. 
In other words, we, we have to get to a point where we realize I can't do this on my own. I'm not capable, I, I, I'm not able. I need tools, I need help, I need fellowship, I need friendship, I need relationship, I need God. I'm not able to do, and, and listen, for some of us, we're so hard-headed, and I speak for myself, we, we don't tend to change when we see the light, we change when we feel more of the heat. <laughs> and so God will have to knock some props out for us to get to that point where we say, I can't do this. And man, Rob, that was Naaman's problem. He was so strong. He was so strong. Yeah. He was so strong. And I think that's where we have to get to is the fact that, that we have this but condition. That I'm strong, I've got all this, but I have this condition. Yeah. But here's the two greatest words to me in the Bible, mm. but God. Yeah. And this is what he had to get to. When you read the Bible, when it talks about our condition, what you're saying mm. in, in Romans 3, it's when great. it says that, that uh, we're all sinners, mm -hmm. we're all right. away from God. But then in Romans 5, it says, but God, yeah, right. while we were yet sinners, sent his son. Right. See, God saw the condition of every mm -hmm. single one of us, mm -hmm. and he came up with a solution. And that's what God is going to do in your life, and that's what he was doing in Naaman's life. He was coming up with the, the, uh, the solution of what's going on, and the solution was in this young girl. Yeah. Here's this young girl, and again, there's a but God in, in 1 Corinthians 1 It says, but God uses the weak things, the, yeah. the simple things of this world, and that's what he did. Somebody who probably in his mm. life was very insignificant. Yeah, last person he would have turned to. And she's the one right. who says, you know what? I see your condition, mm -hmm. and I want to help you. And when I look at her, mm. I, I, I think of the church. Right. See, I think we, we all can identify with Naaman. We all have this but, mm -hmm. but... She is the church and the fact that she's the one that's here to comfort and give a solution to what's going on. And that's what the church is all about. And that's mm. why we take down this mask and say, hey, we understand what you're going through. We're right. not gonna condemn you for it. Right. We're not gonna ask you to leave for it. Mm. We're actually gonna give you a solution to what's going on. And, and that's what I love about this vision yeah. of this church. I love mm. how you lead this church because mm. it goes that way. Yeah, I and, believe, Rob, everybody, everybody here, there's a story. There's a connecting point with why you're here. You're, you're either here because someone told you about this place, you heard about it uh, through, through some source, and, and I, I, I'll go, I'm not a prophet, son of a prophet, not even related, not even sure I believe in all that, but I'm, here's the point, <laughs> is that I believe that God uses the painful experiences of life to connect us. And, and it's no accident you're here. You're here because there's a divine design working in your life, whether you're here for a season or you're here for a stage, you may be with us for the long run. I, I don't, but I just believe there's some reason God has brought you to this place to hear uh, what you need to hear to help heal what's broken in your life. And so I, I believe that so strongly. And when you step back away from it and realize in Naaman's life, he had this little maid. The, the least likely one, as Rob said, to be the one that would try to connect him to the person who had the answer. And God sent her into his life. So you see the grace of God in the midst of Naaman's pain. God is trying to reach out to him and he's trying to help him. That's it. So if you ought to understand that we all have this condition. Yeah. We all have this condition where we need God and that's what he was brought to. And the second thing is the fact that it's the command. That what happens after we understand the condition is the command, and this is how it continues. It says, Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. He was taking everything to it's make sure. It's about a million two in today's economy, by the million way. Million two. Yeah. That's it. He was, he was going, I'm gonna make sure that I'm cured. 
I'm gonna do whatever I can. And again, he was, his pride was still leading the way. I'm gonna do what I can to fix me. And he says, so he goes, the, the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Hmm. And as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and he said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? Yeah, what was going on is this was the king that had been conquered by the king of Syria. And now he's sending the general who led the invading armor, uh, army to conquer him, he's sending him to this same king for a cure. And the king of Israel says, I don't have the power to cure this man. All the king of Syria is doing, he's setting me up. He's sending me into an impossible situation so he can find just cause to attack me again. So that was a level, one of the, one of the levels that's going on in this. But when you back it up and you look at a little bigger point that's being made, I think, spiritually that we can draw from that, is the idea that the king was admitting, I don't have the power to help this man. And ladies and gentlemen, sometimes you get through a painful situation, people can't help you. Sometimes you get to a situation, money can't help you. Remember, he takes a million too with him. If anybody could have bought his way out, and plus he'd have come up with more money, Rob, mm -hmm. if, he, if he had been needful. So he couldn't buy his way out, he couldn't talk his way out. He was coming to the point, God again was trying to bring him to a point where they, he was saying, I'm the only hope, I'm the only answer for this nation of Israel. That's it. Yeah. And he says, when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? And this is when you go back and you read the story, you realize the condition, what was going on. Remember, every time that Israel had gotten far away from God, that it kind of turned away from God, God would send a prophet. Mm -hmm. And this is why Elijah was here. Israel had a bad king. That was, that was actually um, trusting in other gods and, and, and not just turning to God. Mm -hmm. And that's why when you look, when at first he gets so upset, he goes, why wouldn't he have just said, you know, I can't do this for you, but my God can. Mm -hmm. Because he hadn't been turning to God. And that's what happens to so many of you. You face something, you go through something, you're facing a difficulty, and you're looking for somebody to help you instead of looking to God, who's the only one who can help you. And that's what was going on here. And that's why Elisha said, why'd you t tear your robes? Did you forget about the but God? Mm. Because that's what's gotten Israel into this problem to begin with. is because you haven't been following God. And he says, why have you torn your robes? He says, have the man come to me. And he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. And then it goes on. It says, Naaman went to, with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. When you look at the command, it was commanding him to do something that was uh, really beneath him. The Jordan was a muddy river as we'll see in a moment, Naaman kind of resists it because it was just a muddy body of water. He's thinking, you know, of all the bodies of water around here, why are you sending me to the muddiest, the dirtiest body that there is? It's because, again, the biggest problem Naaman had really was not the leprosy on the outside as much as it was the pride on the inside. So before God was going to do something incredible to him outwardly, he was first of all gonna do something inwardly. That's how God always works. In fact, it's interesting when you study the Bible, Jordan is often referred to as the river of death. It's where Jesus was baptized. He went down into the water, picturing his death, to come up out of the water, picturing his resurrection. So the Jordan is typifies the river of death, and so he's being sent to the Jordan. Seven is it significant in biblical numerology. It's the number of completion 
or perfection. He's saying you're gonna go down until, I'm, until you're completed, till it's perfected, till it's right, till you're right. And so the point here was, I'm gonna send you in some dirty water to cleanse your soul. I'm gonna send you down so you can go up. You're gonna to have to be humbled so I can make you great. You see the analogy there? And so he's being sent and the command is, go to this dirty place and you're going to dip into this water seven times to be made clean. That was the command. That was the command. And I think one of the interesting things here is that, that Elisha didn't come out to meet him. Yeah. Elisha sent a messenger. Here's, here's this guy who is really mm-hmm. kind of the all-star right. of Syria, you know, and right. he's got, you know, got all of the, the fame and, and, and glory that comes with that, and he's going to be healed, and Elisha doesn't even go out to, to heal him. He sends a, a messenger to tell him this, and I think the reason why he did was because what was the first thing that he did? He went to the king to be healed, mm-hmm. and now he's coming to Elisha to be healed, and I think Elisha doesn't go out because he's what he's saying, you're not gonna be healed by another person. Mm. This is about putting your life and trust in God's hands. And I think he was wanting him to understand Mm -hmm. that don't trust me. Don't think I'm going to heal you. This is all from God. And you look at the two people God uses significantly. He uses the little maid that had been carried away captive, and he uses Elisha's servant. You see there? I mean, he doesn't use the prophet necessarily, nor does he use the king, but he uses instead a little maid and a servant. God always uses the humble. He always uses the people that many people overlook and they forget about. Those are the people God says, they're important, they're significant. I'm gonna use them. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great good. thought. So we have the command, and this is what we have to realize, that we all have to turn to God. And then finally, it's the commitment. Yeah. It's the commitment. Are we committed to listening to what God wants us to do? Are we committed to walking in his ways, to living an obedient lifestyle? And this is what happens with Naaman here. He says, but Naaman went away angry. So when he heard the command, Naaman goes away angry and says, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. What Naaman thought. That's what Naaman thought. Yeah, God wasn't gonna do it my way. That's it. How many many times, how many times have you had a problem and you already know what God needs to do to fix your problem, right? Oh, sure. You've already, you've got it all figured out. This is God, this is what you gotta do, this is how it's gotta work, because this is gonna make my life so much easier if you do it my way. Yeah, it kind of reminds me, I told Saturday night a couple of weeks ago about the guy sitting under the oak tree about next to the watermelon patch, and he was having a bad day, and he looked at those big watermelons growing off that little tiny vine, and he looked up into that oak tree of those little tiny vines growing off of that huge oak tree branch, and he thought, you know what? If I were God, I would have done that differently. And suddenly a little watermelon, uh, uh, suddenly a little acorn falls out of the he- uh, tree and hits him on top of the head. He said, man, I'm glad that wasn't a watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> so the point is, God doesn't do things the way we think he should sometimes because he's doing something better than we thought. That and was that was going on with him. And that's again, was going on. pride, right? He was, his pride. He was yeah. like going, this, this should have already been fixed. And he goes, are not Abana and, 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 and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Cleaner. A lot cleaner. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? I mean, can't we just do this my way? Can't we just make this so much easier? He says, so he turned and he went off in a rage. And Naaman's servants went to him and said, again, using a servant, uh, went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? Hmm. And I think this, again, it goes back to the pride. We always want to think we're a part of the solution. 
See, I think if, if, if uh, Elisha said, you know what, you're going to get it on your hands and knees, and you're right. going to have to crawl up the mountain, and you're going to have to crawl over glass mm-hmm. and hot coals, he would have thought, I'm doing that. Yeah. Because again, I'm a part of the solution. And it's until you can humble yourself and realize that you're not a part of the solution, that you're surrendering to the solution. And he said, so he went, um, so afterwards he said, so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. Mm-hmm. And as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. Mm. He was healed when he did, when he was committed to doing the command. And here's the interesting thing when you read this story is the fact that he had to dip seven times. That meant he went down and came back up six times with no change. Mm. He went down and came up six times. Think about your own life. Think about working out. If you worked out for a whole week and, and were dieting and doing the right thing and you get on the scale and you haven't lost weight, you're giving up, aren't you? Mm, going to babes. <laughs> that sounds good. We might do that anyway. <laughs> Just me. <laughs> but that's, that's the thing. You've got to be committed. It took seven times. You gotta be committed. It took seven times. And when he was committed and he did what God had commanded him to do, he was cleansed. And he says, indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. For your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Mm. It's when he humbled himself before God that he actually found the cure. Me? Okay. <laughs> I was reading there. Are you I, was, reading? I lost my place there. And I was like, okay, it's my ADHD. Forgive me. Squirrel. Anyway. Uh, one of the things that strikes me when we study this story as I kind of wrap this thing up is the idea that here was a man again with problems. Uh, didn't really admit it till he didn't have any other choice to but to admit it. Then he swallows his pride. I mean, as Rob was talking about, he just had issue after issue and thing after thing to kind of bring him to the end of himself. And once he got to the end of himself and he knew the answer, you see his trust in God. And just as Rob said, he went down one time, no change, two, three, four, six times, no change. And what I draw from that as I close the service is simply this. You may not see an immediate change in your life. Um, If you fought with your mate on the way to church, you may pick it up where you left off when you leave here. I hope not, but you might. Uh, If your kids were being bratty before you got here, they may be bratty when you pick them up. Nothing in your life may change overnight. But if you'll stay focused on God and you'll keep trusting God, or to draw the analogy, you just keep dipping in the water. You just keep, sooner or later, sooner or later, you'll see some change. Here's the reality, God can be trusted. He cannot, listen, he cannot fail. He will not fail you. I don't know what your need is, I don't know what your hurt is, I don't know what your pain is, but if I could just tell you, keep putting one foot in front of the other. That's what I do. I mean, you'll hear a little more of our story next week, but I can tell you, my family, that's, that's what we do. Uh, my son-in-law and, and daughter are here this morning, and uh, last weekend we celebrated the year anniversary when Rick was diagnosed with a brain tumor that was pressing on his brain stem. And man, when you start thinking about the anxiety and the, and the, and the unknown and not knowing what's going to happen and the outcome of that, and he goes into a surgery, I, I never will forget, he hugs and kisses those kids And he told me later, he said, you know, I didn't know if I was going to see him again. Man, that's some heavy stuff right there. (laughs) That's some heavy stuff. And you know what? The surgery was successful. The tumor was benign. And a year later, he's sitting right over there. (laughs) 
So I'm just saying to your heart this morning, yeah, that's good. <laughs> and I'm just saying, it may not make sense. I, I, it, it, you wanna line up your story that doesn't make sense with mine, I'll, I'll, I'll see your story and double you a couple. <laughs> I, when people go through stuff, Rob, and we hear their stories, I don't criticize them if they wanna fellowship with Jim Beam out on the lake for a little while, I get that. <laughs> I'm not endorsing that, but I, I'm saying I get that. I understand how low people can go sometimes. It, it's hard, it's difficult. I, I don't, one of the things I can tell you, pain and how it humbles you, you, people that are judgmental of other people, I can tell you in a knee jerk, they hadn't had their heart broken too much, um, or they wouldn't be that way. They wouldn't be that hard on people, I, I get it. And all I can tell you this morning, guys, I don't know your problem, but just keep dipping in the water. <laughs> keep putting one foot in front of another, just stay sweet, stay focused, and know this, I may fail you, your closest friends may fail you, but you're serving a God who cannot, who cannot fail you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your paths straight. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we, just, we humbly bow before you as broken people, people who understand pain, but people who, like Naaman, want to see healing and health. We want to see and experience genuine help. And I pray this morning, Lord, until that day comes, that hour comes, that moment comes, that we'll stay faithful to trust you, to keep plunging in the water, keep moving forward day by day, knowing you cannot fail. Mm -hmm. We serve a God who does all things well. So Lord, today, for some who have experienced the miraculous healing, we thank you for it. Thank you for what you did in Rick's life and, mm -hmm. and Jesse and so many others in this room right now that you have done miracles in their life. And Lord, for those of us that are still that are still waiting, Help us just to continue day by day mm -hmm. to dip in the water, yes. to trust you, to know you cannot fail. Mm -hmm. So for my friends today who need someone to pray for them before they leave, I pray they'll find their way here to the front as soon as I dismiss and let someone spend a few moments to encourage them and pray for them. For those who may be watching or those in the room who've never trusted you, give them the courage to swallow their pride mm -hmm. as Naaman did to receive you as Savior, as he undoubtedly did, and to declare you are Lord. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.